Hey, everyone. I'm here with Coco. Uh, and I wanted to talk about the latest Stratechery article um, that was published on Monday, June 29th. I think this is one of Ben Thompson's strongest pieces that he's written in a long time, very long. Uh, it includes a lot of quotes from old Stratechery articles. Um, and it's going to go over a lot of themes, uh, you know, that Stratechery has repeated uh, throughout its lifetime. Um, and it's going to analyze them between two big companies, Apple and Facebook. And uh, Ben Thompson kind of notes in the intro that Apple is a, you know, hardware company uh, that doesn't want your data. And then Facebook, you know, is an app that wants all of your data. And so I think of this article as kind of synergizing these two big companies and how they kind of move in lockstep or adapt to each other's strategies uh, in ways that we may not expect. Um, so yeah, I brought on Coco to discuss this. Thanks for coming on the yeah. podcast. Lovely to be here, Eric. So uh, it's definitely one of my favorite things to do. Uh, so going on to the first part of our article, which is just, you know, Ben Thompson's, um, what can I say, his, his favorite thing to talk about, which is Apple's moat, right? Uh, especially when it comes to the iPhone and iOS. Um, Apple, he does describe like Apple having this, this fantastic, you know, almost dictatorial, well, basically dictatorial control over the app store and who can sort of make an app, who can download the app. Uh, what app gets visible in the app store when you search for something, right? Uh, and in the the sort of interface as to how that discovery happens, right? So when when you go on your iPhone and you rate an app, that's that's all under Apple's control. Um, and so, you know, Apple Apple has always been described as this sort of like, um, you know, sort of indefensible or super defensible platform, right? Uh, of course, it's had its doubters over the years, including Clayton Christensen of Innovators Dilemma's fame. Um, and yeah, I, I think there's a lot to talk about here. Um, Eric, what do you think about defensibility, uh, the way Ben Thompson here describes? Yeah, so um, just to back up a little bit, I, I liked your point about Apple controlling the app ecosystem. Um, mm -hmm. And that's very important. Um, because the app store is in contrast to the open web, right? Where anyone can set up their own server and anyone can connect to it, right? Um, the app store is a very different model. It is a gatekeeper model, right? Where you submit your app to Apple and then Apple may or may not approve this app, right? Um, so all of its defensibility, you know, as you asked, comes from uh, its control of the users and of the app review process, right? By combining these two aspects of it, it uh, creates a moat around it. Um, and then kind of like the first section of the Stratechery article was called, you know, Apple's moat. And, uh, you know, Ben makes the point that Apple has a moat because it prioritizes the user experience, right? Because the user experience never has a cap, right? Things can always be better and better and better. And if that's the case, uh, you know, like, as long as Apple keeps making the best products, they will make a differentiated product. And then as a result, users will flock to that item. And because it has the most valuable product and its most valuable users, 
you know, then it control, it not only controls, it has a point of leverage uh, against developers, right? If developers want access to these most valuable users, they have to play by Apple's games and their rules. Um, so I, I think this was a great point. You know, sometimes we think about like, oh, what's the point of user experience or whatever? And Ben Thompson makes it very clear. The point of user experience is that you offer a differentiated product. And if you can use that as a point of leveraging developers, you know, that is the source of Apple's power. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you just look at Ben Thompson's usual thesis on Apple, he doesn't actually describe Apple as a, as a software company that we think of uh, today. It's actually a hardware company whose chief differentiation is the software. Uh, and, you know, like he says in the article, that they are, they are sort of past masters at this systems on a chip concept, right? That they sort of control everything from, from the little bits of silicon that, that the software runs on to the actual sort of colors of each icon, right? All of that is under their control. And so if, when you have that under their, when you have that under your control, um, you can sort of make sure that everything just clicks together, right? Which is why Apple products always seem so much more advanced than, you know, it's, it's cheap competitor, if you will. Um, and yeah, it's the, the user experience is by far the thing that makes you buy an Apple product because what you're buying is actually what you're going to be using. Uh, so it's, it's in fact the chief thing uh, that determines whether or not you will, you know, put your wallet to it. Um, so moving on from there and, you know, from the Apple's, Apple's great moat, if you will, um, I wanted to talk about the Bill Gates sign. Um, yeah. but before I do, uh, let's, let's actually, cause I know Eric have some, have some very interesting opinions on this. Go for it, Eric. So, okay. So the Bill Gates line, so we're all on the same page is, you know, kind of, I would say a famous strategy post where. Uh, ben Thompson lays out the difference between a platform and an aggregator. Uh, and he does it via this, you know, very uh, interesting interview between Samil Sa uh, and uh, like Chamath. Um, and basically, uh, at one point, like Chamath like talks about Facebook platform and he says, oh, you know, this is so great. Uh, but then Bill Gates steps in and he's like, no, this is, you know, this is not a platform, uh, this is an aggregator, uh, because a platform has, you know, uh, creates value uh, such that, you know, the platform doesn't even capture most of the value. You know, Microsoft operating system is a quintessential like example of this, right? Uh, where you have the platform uh, and then all the revenue that's generated on top of the platform is all the apps, right? Um, so Bill Gates, you know, kind of like makes this demarcation between, you know, if 50% of the value is captured by the platform, you know, that is a platform. Otherwise, you know, it, it, it's exalted into this aggregator, you know, state as Ben Thompson claims. Um, personally, like when I like start thinking about this too much uh, late at night, I... <laughs> I think Ben Thompson's kind of over fixated on this platform versus aggregator kind of dichotomy. And I don't think it's a real uh, dichotomy. Like, you know, I think the most important aspect of a platform is that a platform is open to extension, um, like the web, right? Like the web, like the HTML, like HTTP protocol does not capture most of the value, 
right? Uh, that's produced by the web. Uh, and so I, I, I think, you know, a platform is defined by its openness, um, whereas an aggregator is kind of defined by its uh, control of demand. It's, uh, I think the economic term is like monopsony, mm -hmm. um, where you just aggregate all demand, right? It's because there's no other provider of this demand that you must go to this aggregator. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, he's got that colorful anecdote from Bill Gates about calling it a crock of shit, right? Um, but I, I can think of other platforms that I don't think actually meet the Bill Gates line. Um, one of my favorite platforms actually would be Google Maps. Um, we don't actually think of Google Maps as a platform because Google doesn't advertise it as a platform. Uh, but think of all the apps that actually depend on Google Maps API. Uh, from your phone's maps or from iPhone's maps when Apple Maps failed miserably, uh, all the way up to Uber, which relies entirely on Google Maps API, uh, yeah. Foursquare, right? Uh, and all these large, large tech companies that obviously even combined don't, don't actually come close to Google's $1.3 trillion valuation. But if, if you were to split Google Maps out from the rest of Google, all those apps are way more valuable than the Maps app itself. You know what I mean? There's no amount of advertising you can do on Maps that will make up for the kind of revenue that Uber makes, you know? I think uh, that's, so I, yeah, I think that's a great point. We don't think of Google Maps as a platform, but you know, it has this API and many apps like Uber are built on top of it. Yeah, yeah, so it's, I, I don't know if the Bill Gates line is, necessarily something I agree with or, or the fact that like, you know, to be a platform, there has to be some sort of, uh, you know, the people benefiting from the platform will, will ultimately do much better than the platform itself. So like, uh, this is the way I, I see it, right? Like, what would you rather do? Would you rather be building the trains and cutting tickets for the passengers, which is a very profitable, profitable business? Or would you rather own the railroad? Right. And do you think owning the railroad is profitable versus way more profitable or way more valuable than like building the trains that run on it? Um, so that's. So you think owning the railroad is more important in this case? Right. I mean, that's how the Rockefellers did it. Um, and, you know, like, I mean, obviously, this is going beyond like the digital stuff. Uh, but we've had platforms for quite a while. So the, the biggest platform I can actually think of in the physical world is actually fossil fuel, right? We do so much with fossil fuels, um, but the most valuable company in the world is still a fossil fuel company, essentially. Uh, Saudi Aramco is worth $2 trillion at least. Right, even um, though companies are built on top of, you know, oil, like Ford. Oil, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, plastic. Like yeah, exactly. You know, uh, oil is still the most dominant industry. It's, it's bigger than those industries, you know? And sure, so sure. I, I think, you know, this Bill Gates line, while it's, you know, talked about a lot, I don't even think it's true. Uh, because a platform simply means that you're open to extension, that you're open to be built on top of. Mm -hmm. um, so to me, like, the more I look at, like, the Bill Gates line, the more it's like, it's a cute little story, but I don't think it's, you know, the foundation of, it's, it's not gospel. I mean, 
anything that starts with it's a crock of shit <laughs> as a quote from Bill Gates shouldn't, shouldn't really be gospel. Uh, but moving on, I think, I think what he does say about Facebook's platform uh, per se is actually pretty valid, uh, especially in terms of app installs. So I think, I think that's the crux of his recent article here, right? Is that uh, Facebook, Facebook has sort of captured or, or stumbled onto this business of app installs. For those of you who don't know, uh, mobile app installs is basically this idea of uh, having a small card or an ad for an app that a developer can pay for uh, so that the users can click that ad and then go directly to an app store to download it. Um, so essentially, it's, it's sort of an ad that compels you to install an app. Um, that, so, so now you've kind of shifted from this model of uh, you know, relying on Apple's app store to surface your app or the ratings to be good enough for your app to be surfaced uh, to you directly just going to the consumer that, that you think can be targeted by your app. And regardless of the ratings, you'll at least be taken to the page in the app store where you can download it. Uh, and Facebook yeah. basically monetizes all those download clicks. Um, I think that's pretty valid um, in the sense that that's, that is its platform, right? Like Facebook, ultimately, no one knows as much about you as Facebook or Google would. So they would, they definitely have enough data and enough, enough sufficiently advanced models to sort of target you for the right thing that you would want. Um, which is kind of interesting. What do you think, Eric? Yeah, I, so in Ben's, you know, weekly update, he kind of talked about how Facebook kind of fumbled the ball kind of at the beginning and it was trying to do these web-based apps and not native apps. Um, and then he talks about how Facebook kind of completely shifted its strategy uh, to go over to like native apps. And he talks about like why this was such a boon is because it allowed uh, app install apps, which was actually the golden goose. This was the reason why you wanted to be a native ad was to have this functionality. Um, and I think you made a great point. You know, you're talking about like, you know, the app store has all these like ratings and discovery, et cetera. You know, right. It's instead of like a user discovering an app, right. It's now a user is being targeted with a potential app to install. Um, so it's kind of like filling in the potholes of like the Apple, you know, ecosystem. Uh, instead of you going out there and trying to figure out what app you need, you know, Facebook, you know, already knows, look, you need this app. Uh, so I, I think, you know, Ben is making a really great point here is that kind of Apple, like uh, Facebook is filling in the potholes of Apple's ecosystem. Uh, yeah, I mean, speaking of potholes, Apple, Apple has always done this, right? Um, any sort of thing where Apple, Apple somehow leaves a gap, uh, and, and this goes beyond software, right? Uh, if you think about what happened after Apple II and uh, you know, Steve Jobs coming back to Apple and taking, taking away the sort of um, in-house ARM chips that they used to build to Intel CPUs, right? The, the whole MacTel event. Um, it, Apple has always sort of found a way to, to make its own platform better, even if it's by some third party trying to profit off of it. Um, and that third party ends up somehow also becoming a platform, right? Like Intel CPUs are a huge platform now. Uh, the x86 instruction set on its own is a huge platform. 
um, that's almost universal. So I don't know. I think I think Ben Ben may be doing a bit of a tightrope here in saying that Facebook is sort of is sort of helping Apple per se, or I guess the better way to put it would be uh, Facebook filling in the gap for this one inefficiency with Apple's system. But the real truth here is, or at least what I think, uh, is that Apple can persist to to exist with or without Facebook, right? Uh, and that's the that's the other sort of gut-punching thing here, is that Facebook, yes, uh, Ben in the article does point out that uh, a large part of Facebook's revenue is still from its its fat tail, if you will, which is the 8 million small advertisers that pay Facebook every day, pretty much, uh, to keep, to display ads. Um, I don't know if, if, if that's actually a strength, right? Um, just because these advertisers, yes, Facebook has the best targeting, uh, but these advertisers could very well find a new billboard. I see. If like the Facebook billboard is not the most appealing billboard to run your programmable ads on, right, right, uh, you could just ditch it overnight uh, for TikTok. Pretty much, yeah. Because uh, because ultimately Facebook's inventory is your attention to Facebook. Um, and so, regardless of how good the targeting is, regardless of how how well automated the ability to sell ads on Facebook is, you if Facebook starts losing inventory or doesn't have the right inventory for you, right? So if Facebook's users aren't actually the users that you're targeting, there's not much you can do. While no matter what kind of user there is, it's, it's more than likely that if they're using an iPhone, Apple can target it, right? That's the crazy thing about it. it yeah. It, if there's not that many, I don't know, uh, if there's not that many female Papua New Guineans on Facebook, uh, but they're all using iPhones, um, the ultimately iPhones reach is probably going to be much more representative of, of a broader swath of targets than, than Facebook. And you can see this with Apple's newer, newer devices, right? Like the iPhone SE is now a lot, lot cheaper and you can buy older iPhone models in the market. Uh, for for much less than it costs to get a similar Android device. Um, so once Apple goes for the market share game, I mean, it's it's very difficult for Facebook to to sort of keep inventory, uh, yeah, which is I mean, which is still what Facebook has over Apple. Yeah, I, I you know to to come back to a point we made earlier in the podcast was like, you know, Apple has this moat, but Facebook doesn't necessarily have as strong of a moat, you know, uh, yep. because the switching costs, the software is low. Uh, you know, the, the big advantage Facebook has is it has the social graph. It knows who you are friends with, who you follow, et cetera. Right. And so I, I think you're right in the sense that, you know, ultimately Apple is the stronger player in this game because Facebook kind of is just, on sits on top of apple right right i mean uh, just just to put it as a as a story right like you can tomorrow you can choose not to log into facebook 
and the day after you can choose not to log into Facebook and then you know you can log into Facebook two days later fine big deal oh and Facebook will find new data to target you with but um in 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 the sort of Adam's world as opposed to the bits world you know you I can't use a new phone tomorrow and then a separate phone the day after and then go back to my Apple on the third day uh, that's just not going to happen, right? So Apple's, Apple's users are way stickier than Facebook's. And so the, the, there's no inventory uncertainty. Facebook sort of fights for you to use its app every single day, right? Like that's why you have all these brilliant people working on it. Um, well, Apple, like once Apple sells a device, they've got you at least for three months on a, in a practical sense. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, the switching costs are much higher. Um, and also, people feel a lot more loyalty to Apple than they do to Facebook. And I think that's a huge competitive advantage. Uh, and I, oh, yeah. I, it's an, an advantage that will persist for many years, honestly, as yeah. long as they keep cranking and, out, you know, top tier. Yeah. I mean, even going back to the, the system on a chip thesis that Ben Thompson has, right? Like, the, the thing people don't realize about Facebook is, Facebook actually does not control its entire user experience. And like we said at the beginning of the podcast, user experience matters. Um, you know, so Facebook doesn't actually make the screen that you're viewing Facebook on, uh, does, not, does not even make the browser that is being rendered on, right? Uh, let alone the, the operating system that hosts the app, so on and so forth. So, so Apple can sort of twist any knob it wants uh, and, and change the user experience for which Facebook has to keep reacting to. Uh, while Apple, Apple actually doesn't have that relationship with anything else, right? Uh, including like, you know, switching over to Apple proprietary chips for the Mac, right? Yeah. There's, there's sort of nothing. Apple doesn't have to be beholden to anything but itself, right? The, the only reason for Apple yes. to fail, as far as I can see, would be Apple, right? If they it's, screw they up. Don't- yeah, it's, they don't if they screw yeah. up, they'll screw up. That's fine. But Facebook sort of has all these other dependencies where like, if something else fails, then Facebook will fail, right? Uh, so I, I don't, I really don't know if, if Ben Thompson sort of considered that or if he thinks that, or, or, or if this whole thing is way more about just the app download or app install advertising, you know? Yeah, I mean, certainly Apple has a stronger moat. Um, mm-hmm. And also by, you know, integrating, you know, from the chip up to the, you know, uh, Apple store where you go and buy your iPhone, right? By integrating all those components in the stack, you know, they totally control the experience. And they're not downstream of any kind of events, you know, whereas yeah. Facebook, you know, must react to every single Apple rule change, you know? Um, but I, I, think, I think what Ben Thompson consistently goes for is that Facebook is well positioned to react to Apple rule changes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're the biggest player in the social media space. So they have the resources, they have the engineering talent to react to any you know, rule change that their competitors just don't have. Right. Yeah, I mean, 
Uh, on the other, I mean, yes, obviously, like you have all these smart people working to get you 0.25%, a little more addicted to Facebook. Uh, but I'm, I'm still a little skeptical about, but of course, you know, um, Ben Thompson does actually go into this, uh, that Facebook actually is, is completely vulnerable to Apple, right? Apple has so much control over the data collection on its device that it can sort of cut off those knobs. Uh, for Facebook or access to them. Um, and, you know, I think, I think in the long run, Facebook actually kind of has no choice but to keep trying new stuff, right? Uh, the way you see Facebook shopping uh, or Facebook dating or, you know, any, any of the other sort of recent ventures that they've had, um, some successful, some not so much, right? Like uh, the Facebook sort of hardware or home device or Oculus, all of that stuff is, is a way to find some niche in the market that Facebook isn't beholden to someone else for. And, I, and that'll be really interesting to see as time goes on. Like how much, how much engineering talent are they going to pursue in which direction, really? Um, that's, yeah. that's a really big question. Yeah, like a lot of companies are kind of so afraid of this Apple-Google duopoly over you know the app review process that you know they want to get in and have their own hardware they want to control the rules um and i think that's something that's like all companies are going to have to wrestle with is just like how how secure do you feel you know being downstream of apple right yeah i mean but it, it's also it's also such a far-fetched or um I guess Apple's come a long way since Steve Jobs, right? Where, you know, you're kind of the rebel and Apple is the, the free platform. Yes, a little garden walled, but still relatively the place where you don't go for big business. Uh, and now it's, you know, Apple's the new Microsoft. Uh, it's a crazy world. Yeah, Apple is the, the empire uh, <laughs> in many respects. Um, you know, taking 30% of developers revenue is what empires do, I would say. Yeah, it's, it, is, it is basically an income tax, pretty much close to the current physical empire we live in, you know? Which to me is like, if Apple just removed its 30% tax, I would love Apple unconditionally. I, I, to me, I, I, I fixate on this like 30% tax. I mean, because I think they're, they're blockading so much innovation that would otherwise occur. You know, people who would make apps don't make apps because of the 30% rule. But then also think about, there's so many business models that are not possible if you have to give 30% of your revenue to someone else, right? right. The, future, the future is the creator economy, which is where a consumer directly pays another consumer. Right, I would call right. C to B to C, right? Right. And if this B gets a 30% tax on it, well then C to B to C doesn't really make a lot of sense. Because C, you know, C is not paying the other C as much, right? And so there's just no. so much inefficiency in the system that the whole range of business models of C to B to C just don't exist. And to me, this is, I think it's most glaring anti Yeah, it's crazy, right? That, that if your middleman is way larger than you in, in any transaction, in everything,
transaction pretty much. It's, yeah, uh, it's a huge toll for sure. Yeah. So to bring it back to like, you know, the weekly update, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I thought Ben Thompson was making really great points here in this Facebook's anti-fragility header. Mm-hmm. You know, where he talks about kind of the difference between TV advertising and, you know, web advertising. TV advertising is obviously just a blanket. They don't know who's watching TV more or less. You know, they might know age demographics. Right. Not knows, since Nielsen. Yeah. Right. Whereas Facebook knows so much about you, right? It can individually target ads that it thinks maybe, you know, that you will like. Um, and, and kind of like, the difference he draws here is that the whole like industry like of consumer packaged goods is kind of built on top of television advertising, right? Where you just need to, you need to sell diapers in mass, right? So just blanket TV with diapers. Um, right. Whereas the internet has this whole targeted ad scheme. So, right. You can kind of predict who your customers might be and kind of bid for these customers. Um, and so in a system like that, right. It, it favors niches, it favors the long tail. And so, you know, Ben talks about, there's so many classes of businesses uh, that are going to be unlocked kind of as a result of targeted advertising. And so, you know, he was talking about like, you know, the recent advertiser boycotts of Facebook. And he's like, it's not a big deal from a financial point of view because Facebook makes most of its profits from its long tail, right? It's, you know, the, the top 100 advertisers, you know, are just a fraction of its total revenue. Makes sense. Yeah, I think in general, um, having, having any sort of business that is, that sort of skims the surface of something else, right? And isn't, isn't a direct sort of value creation, uh, aside from sort of, providing the avenue for said value creation, uh, they're, they're always going to come to a point where it's like, okay, uh, we're not growing users anymore, or we're not growing the, the sort of number of value creators. And now we need to, we need to take that call of, of monetizing each of them, right? Like this happens, this happens with any other social media platform that isn't Facebook. Right? I mean, the, the cool thing about Facebook is, you know, there's like a saying, right? There's, there's only three things inevitable in life. It's death, taxes, and Facebook user growth. Um, that's, it's still held true, right? Their users are still growing. Um, and so unless you're a business like Facebook, um, you have got to make that call eventually of, you know, there's not, there's not a lot of people left in the world that can both afford a $600 iPhone and also need to own one because they don't have one yet. Um, and so, so now Apple, Apple sort of has to like squeeze the lemon, right? Um, yeah. So I, I find it, I find it to be the the devil's bargain, if you will. At least if if you are Apple, right? It, that's that's a point you have to cross. Um, unless unless Apple was in the business of like canonically as of of just giving support to open source stuff, um, which again. Um, the the long tail eventually doesn't win out, and that's that's another thing that we don't really realize, right? That it's yes, the future will still be consumer to consumer, but 
when it comes to when it comes to full products um a lot of the times you see that 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 there's always like one sort of winner take all uh you can see that with google search uh which again is a free product uh you can see that with um i guess what other products would i use what would i say are like free zero switching costs and still there's like a winner take all um i would say like a video there? streaming platform like youtube right youtube pretty much free winner almost takes all twitch in the context of gaming um you know all these things are are are, are sort of antithetical to the whole idea of you know, someone building a product for some other individual and this individual basically only uses that product because that's, that's the one that's fit for them. And there will be other sellers and other makers doing that for other individuals. Um, at least in software, that, that is just not the case. In software, you know, in, especially in tech, the winner usually takes all. Winner, and it's not even winner takes most. Um, yeah, I mean, we all tweeted recently uh, in the startup Olympics, the first place gets a monopoly, the second place gets a medal, and the third place gets nothing. Yeah, pretty much. Good old Novell. Uh, yeah, so, so in the next header of the article, Ben Thompson talks about the Apple vulnerability. Mm -hmm. uh, and he... I think this is where it gets really interesting, actually. Mm -hmm. um, so in iOS 14, uh, the change is that uh, Apple will now like send users this really scary dialogue where they're like, would you like this app to track you around the web and know all your whereabouts? Uh, and obviously anyone who reads that will say no. And so the effect of this is going to kill the IDFA, which is the identifier for advertisers, which is how, you know, Google, Facebook tracks you across the web, right? And they, right. Uh, and that's kind of the core of ad tech, right? They want to see, like, did I display this ad to you? And then you clicked it and then you bought the product, right? It's telling advertisers uh, about their return on investment for their ad. Um, and so, you know, Apple kind of taking up this banner of privacy is now going to basically kill the IDFA by presenting this very scary dialogue to users. Um, mm -hmm. And I think this is where Ben Thompson really shines is that, you know, most people are like, this is the end, right? Facebook can't, you know, deal with this anymore, right? They're going to take a hit, right? It's bad on them. But, you know, if you kind of step back and you analyze all the players that are in the ecosystem, Facebook's going to do fine. Like, Facebook has the resources to respond to this change. And, uh, you know, they, they can even change their, like, business model, I would say, in, in a way, right? Instead of doing all these app installs campaigns, uh, they just kind of figure out which apps are the most profitable and then they make them right? right now. They're just a game publisher, right? They make, you know, little apps, uh, you know, for the app store, uh, and then people, you know, buy them and then they make in-app purchases and then Facebook just collects that revenue. Right. Because, 
you know, the end effect of banning third-party trackers is that the first parties become more powerful. Right. Like Facebook, who has all the data, will be able to make the games that make all the money. Um, so it, it, it's kind of, it's kind of clear that Facebook's gonna turn out all right as re- like at the end of all this, you know, IDFX change. Mm-hmm. Um, they might even switch their business model, but it's just that, you know, as Ben Thompson makes a point is that, you know, because Facebook is downstream of any Apple rules, Facebook has to kind of react to it, fill in the potholes and then like, uh, capitalize on all their strengths. Right. Um, yeah, so did you have any, like, last thoughts kind of about, like, how Apple kind of changes Facebook kind of as a result of, you know, this IDFA change? Uh, I mean, this is, this is a very sort of predator-prey co-evolution situation uh, between Apple and Facebook. Um, I think... I think on a broader scale, right? Uh, yes, Facebook is by definition more more resilient, just because, regardless of platform, regardless of uh, you know, F- Facebook isn't isn't always under the pressure to come up with the next big app or the next big game or whatever it is, right? Like you're you're going to use some sort of Facebook platform every single time. Um, like, I still log on to Instagram all the time. I still use Facebook Messenger. Um, in and regardless of what platform I'm using it on, whether it be my Mac or, you know, even through uh, my iPhone or, or any other device in the future, Facebook actually isn't under any pressure uh, to come up with a new app that I have to use, uh, right? Like this, this is already a behavior for me. Um, Apple, however, is, is always going to be under pressure to keep the quality of the device I'm using high, right? Uh, no matter what, the, the reason I use a Mac and the reason I use an iPhone is because it is by far the best user experience. Uh, and, and Apple sort of, sort of still has this, this um, well, not pressure per se, but, but definitely has this imperative to keep that top of class if it wants to keep control. Uh, Facebook can definitely leverage all of the, um, how would I say, all of the friction that Apple might have on its platform, but the less friction it has, the more Apple can sort of be, be justified in charging that, that 30% commission, right? Like that's the crazy thing about it. Uh, the, that 30% commission is all because Apple actually has the ability to, to make a product that users love and has continued to do so, right? Um, but, but that continuation again, isn't, isn't a given while Facebook actually, all Facebook has to do is keep reacting to Apple. Um, so I, so, so it's, it's actually, I would say the, the relationship is kind of flipped, right? In that Facebook sort of chasing after Apple's frictions that it creates. So really it's on Apple not to make mistakes, which I think is a, is a way worse position to be in, in the long run. In the sense that Apple has to continue to innovate. Uh, yes. 
as we talked about earlier, hardware differentiated through software. If they want this 30% yeah. tax in the app store, they have to have the best hardware, which is what brings people to the app store, right? As opposed right. to going through the open web, which reminder to everyone is free. Right. Um, so, you know, if Apple wants to continue making this 30% income mm -hmm. tax on developers, you know, they have mm -hmm. to continually have the best hardware right. in the game. Right. Like that's, that's the sort of Democles over Apple, right? Like ultimately you're not really paying for any of using any of Facebook's products, but you are paying for Apple's. And so Apple's, Apple's sort of got its work way more cut out for them because they always have to make something that you are, you, you sort of have no inhibition about paying for. Oh, so Ben, I don't know. <laughs> so you're not sure, if, you know, uh, if Apple is in, you know, a great position because they have to continue to innovate. And then, whereas Facebook just kind of has to continue to react, which is maybe the easier yeah. too. I mean, both of them have very tenuous grips still, right? Just because there's definitely smart people working at Apple too, right? Um, and so I, I'm, I'm still skeptical on whether there's going to be, uh, you know, sort of a winner or I'm still, I'm still very hesitant to actually sort of declare a winner here, but I will say that um, Apple definitely will need way more resources to do what it's doing than Facebook does, right? Yeah. Facebook does not need as much resources to continue doing what it's doing. And, and that's sort of reflected on the, the number of employees, the, the revenue spend, all of that. Yeah, it's clearly the power is the software. It's software is easier right. to make than hardware. Uh, whereas software kind of returns all the margins. Uh, right. So that's, that's what's tricky about it. Well, I think that's a great place to end. Uh, thanks, Coco, for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, bud. Uh, until next time, I'll see you later, everyone. See ya.